everybody. So we are so excited today. We are going back in time, back 20 uh, years. We are talking about the year of 1998. This is kind of crazy for me because this was a very important year for me in my life in 1998. I started college in 1998 uh, we're going to talk about the movies of that year, and I'm joined by my friend Conrado, who was a was a wee young one. In yeah, that is <laughs> that is correct. I was a mere, I think, four years old <laughs> back in 1998. So no, now that that's, I feel that's a lie. I was <laughs> I was six. I was six, so a little older, but you know. Great age for movies. Yeah, it was an influential time. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, though I I started um, college a year early because my family moved to California, and I didn't want to just go to high school for you know a whole new high school just for one year. That would seem dumb. So I just started college, and uh, so yeah, I started in uh, in 1998. We're talking about our top tens. I really tried to be honest with what really is my favorite and not necessarily what is the most critically lauded or what you know things and so there is i admit some nostalgia a little bit to some of them but uh because that was such a you know that's a such a formative time uh but i i still really i really love all my picks but i really just tried to go with what i thought was my favorite versus what is that what is like the best you know it's kind of the yeah like citizen kane is one of the best movies ever made is it one of my favorites no it's not <laughs> fair enough i don't know and yeah and i think i also took a page from your book um we've been going back and forth sharing our lists in preparation for this episode and i think you, there's going to be some surprises in mind because i've been tinkering with it yeah. until the last minute and really at the end decided to go really with my heart for my picks so i think it should be fun well i'm excited yeah we i, I we don't know you know my list basically i made one change last minute but uh but i i really have very little idea of what's on your list a couple i i know but uh it's gonna be fun it's gonna be more right. of a surprise but let's talk about 1998 uh as a whole the year all right so the big best picture winner of the year was a shocker. Everybody was stunned that Shakespeare in Love beat Saving Private Ryan at the Oscars. And this was, uh, talk about a different time. This was uh, Weinstein's greatest coup. Right, that correct. He ever the did. Of Weinstein. Oh, well, I think it was the first time he won best picture, right? Or he got all the way there. So that was a big deal. And I remember I got into the Oscars in the years after this, you know, I was six, yeah. but like, you know, when I was yeah. about 10 or so, and that was really the height of when he used to get a movie in every year. And I remember in 2002, he had three movies in the best picture race back when it was just five nominees. So that he was really running the table. Yeah. So do you, do you think it's an outrage that Shakespeare in Love won? How do you feel? Um, I don't think it's an outrage. I think, um, I think it's a pretty good movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good movie. I like both movies. I like Shakespeare in Love and I like Saving Private Ryan. So I, I would have been fine with either one of those winning. Mm -hmm. um, I think, 
you know, the internet movie people just go back and forth with backlash and backlash to the backlash and backlash to the backlash to the backlash. <laughs> that I feel like we've gone from saying Saving Private Ryan is a travesty that one to saying actually um, Shakespeare love is better than Saving Private Ryan and then going back to it and then going yeah. back and back and forth. I think they're both good movies. I also think they're both good movies. I, uh, yeah, we'll talk more about Saving Private Ryan later. But, um, uh, but yeah, I think they're both good movies. I, I, it does seem like strange that like a, it feels Shakespeare in Love feels smaller. I mean, it's I guess it's kind of like something like Moonlight winning. I, I mean, that's way more indie. But I don't know, just when these sort of smaller movies beat these big epic movies it's, it's always kind of surprising or something like hurt locker i think would right. be another one beating avatar it's kind of a yeah. an interesting thing when that happens and uh yeah so i'm fine with it <laughs> it's hmm. i think they're both i think they're both pretty good movies uh but i don't know it was it was a, a shocker at the time for sure and you had uh gwyneth paltrow winning mm-hmm. for Shakespeare in Love as well. Deserved Gwyneth Paltrow. I think she's really good in the movie. Um, I haven't seen all of those years nominees, but I think she's yeah. a pretty... I know she's like really not the most beloved person nowadays with her whole goop thing and other stuff. Yeah. But I think regardless of her personal life, I think she's a really talented actress and I wish she acted more. I feel like she's been taking a backseat lately outside of popping into for five seconds of each Marvel movie. Yeah, I agree. I think she is talented. She's talented. And is, I didn't even think that, I didn't realize that Life is Beautiful was 1998. Oops, missed that. I think that, yeah, because I think that uh, opened in Italy in 97, but it came to the US in the 98. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so I think she is talented. I, yeah, she definitely can be uh, irritating, <laughs> social right. media and stuff like that, but that doesn't yeah. really speak to her acting ability. Uh, uh, it gets a little overshadowed. But, you know, you got, uh, I think that definitely Steven Spielberg was the right call for uh, for Saving Private Ryan. For Best Director. Best Director, Yeah. Uh, I guess Roberto Benigni for Life is Beautiful, uh, which I haven't seen that movie in a long time. So I don't know how Same it holds here. up. Uh, I, I didn't realize that it was 1998. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then I, I think probably, I don't know if I would have given Judy Dench the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> She's really funny in Shakespeare in Love. And it's a very Judy Dench performance. So... <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it's a true supporting role i mean she's right right she's in very little of the movie yeah the way i see it is i don't think it's the best judy dench performance but i think if you look at that performance you can kind of get what judy dench is as an actress yeah i think that's you know it's representative of her work I would have probably given it to uh, Brenda Blethyn for Little Voice. I, I think she was really good in that movie. It's really a lead performance. She's like the lead mm-hmm. character. Um, but uh, that's just me. Uh, so yeah, and then you had Gods and Monsters getting Best uh, Adapted Screenplay. Uh, foreign Language Film, Life is Beautiful. Uh, song, When You Believe from Prince of Egypt. 
Uh, so interesting, interesting year at the Oscars. Uh, as far as the box office, national box office, he had Lethal Weapon 4, Shakespeare in Love, Dr. Doolittle, Mulan, Deep Impact, A Bug's Life, There's Something About Mary, Godzilla, Saving Private Ryan, and Armageddon. But at the domestic, it was uh, Patch Adams at number 10. Wow. Yeah, Godzilla at nine, Deep Impact at eight, Rush Hour, seven, Dr. Doolittle, six, uh, The Water Boy at five, A Bug's Life, four, There's Something About Mary, three, Armageddon at two, and Save Your Private Ryan at number one. So it's pretty interesting. A movie like Save Your Private Ryan getting number that one. Is, yeah, that is crazy to think about now. I guess the closest thing that's happened is American Dunkirk. Sniper a couple of years ago. Yeah, and Dunkirk. Right, yeah, but Dunkirk was a number one. You know, like oh. just the number one movie of the year being a war movie like that, I think. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't number one, but it it was probably in the top 10, maybe. Well, definitely, definitely top yeah. 10. But. Interesting. Yeah, uh, that's surprising to me as well. Uh, so, it, yeah. So it, it was the last, 1998 was the last full year of uh, the Siskel and Ebert program, which was right. very influential for me. Uh, I would watch it uh, every week, even though most of the movies I couldn't see <laughs> that they were talking about, but I was just so fascinated by the two of them and their conversations. And uh, they, they made me uh, want to analyze film and, uh, and I've always just loved film criticism. Mm-hmm. and even if people completely disagree with me as you and i often very much disagree i just find mm-hmm. it really interesting to hear people's point of view and i think it comes from that show watching that show for for years and there's so many movies that they uh introduced me to uh something like hoop dreams that i you know wouldn't have saw without them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh anyway uh they're um the top 10 for gene siskel that year were uh, he had um, Waking Ned Divine. Uh, there's something about Mary, Simon Birch, uh, Ants, The Truman Show, Shakespeare in Love, Saving Private Ryan, Pleasantville, The Thin Red Line, and Babe, Pig in the City. What a list. So, and... so pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty good list. Yeah. Pretty eclectic list. Uh, and he was a big defender of Babe, Pig in the City. Yeah. Uh, obviously his favorite of the year. Uh, he loved it. And Roger, his top were Primary Colors, Life is Beautiful, Shakespeare in Love, Babe, Pig in the City, Elizabeth, yeah. Happiness, A Simple Plan, Saving Private Ryan, Pleasantville, and Dark City. Wow. So. Yeah. It's pretty interesting list. I mean, uh, pretty interesting favorites number ones in those lists right but yeah. Yeah, dark city very sort of visionary kind of underrated movies from yeah from 98 yeah i think so yeah definitely so that's it's interesting uh the the stinkers of 1998 mm. <laughs> uh you had a movie like the avengers not the avengers that we know and love but mm-hmm. the avengers from the uk oh man i was surprised because i saw this movie in the theaters and i remember just thinking it was so long and so boring (laughs) and and i looked up it's only 90 minutes but i remember (laughs) it was 
so long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was really bad. There's some really, as I recall, some really strange, strange stuff. So maybe it might be more curious than, uh, than I thought. But there's a whole scene where people are in bear bear costumes and i don't know it's very bizarre but um <laughs> and then the roland emmerich godzilla i think this is mm-hmm. the point where we all realized that roland emmerich was a hack and not a good director uh because they're a great trailer for this yeah movie. that's what i was gonna say that i remember the trailer for the movie the first time i saw it i was probably watching some kids movie and it played yeah. in front of it and with the huge wave coming towards the fisherman, right? That's that's an amazing trailer, and the movie, of course, is not as good. Oh, the movie's terrible. Uh, the, the The problem with the movie is, uh, it's it's not scary at all, and it tries to be like this comedy, and it's just uh, the only good thing about the movie is that it like has all of the Simpsons actors for some weird, strange reason. Just <laughs> right. like spot a Simpson. <laughs> Like Yardley Smith is in it, and Hank Azaria is in it, and <laughs> Harry right. Shearer is in it. It's very weird. Uh, and yeah. Speaking of uh, Ebert and Siskel and Ebert, this is the movie in which there is the parody version of, of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I love that the their review of it. They were like, they didn't even do it right. They didn't even do a good job. <laughs> yeah, uh, and. I don't know. I mean, I don't even think that Independence Day, to be honest, holds up all that well. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Will Smith kind of makes it fun because he was like a true movie star then. Right. But and 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 I think the Bill Pullman speech is great. Uh, but as far as movies, I don't. Know, I just think Roland Emmerich is the worst. I hate. I hate his movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're you're a fan. I I've barely seen any of his movies now that I'm thinking about it. Oh. I haven't seen Godzilla or Independence Day since I was a kid, and I don't think I've seen anything else. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's he's the worst. Um, in my opinion, I'm sure he's a super nice guy, but as far as his movies, I wait. Don't did care he for do him. the Caveman movie? Ten thousand BC. Uh huh. Is that him? Yeah, he did that. Okay. Yeah, I saw that, and that was that was rough. It was rough. That was, that was my how long is this movie experience like, it's so boring and keeps going because they're not even like b-movie kind of schlock fun on that level to me at least they're just tedious and terrible humor and just the worst right. um, <laughs> for me uh yeah and then another notorious entry from 1998 is gus van sant's uh shot for shot remake of psycho I've actually yeah. never seen it, but yeah. Me either. And I wanted to watch it for the from preparation for this, uh, just because I wanted to be the one person that thought it was brilliant <laughs> and put it on my list and be like the contrarian, but I just couldn't get, get a hold of it uh, yeah. in time. Yeah. Uh, then we had Jack Frost, which is bizarre it, it's it's totally one of those i joke that that every hallmark movie could be if you change the score could be a horror movie and I, <laughs> that is true about a lot of family <laughs> films also and right. definitely true with jack frost like the, this creature that they created is so terrifying looking and the idea that this is supposed to be like a heartwarming thing that his father returns in the form of a snowman is just so bizarre i don't know what they were thinking it's well 
Yeah, to your credit, when I was a kid, six years old, and I first encountered the idea of this movie, I thought it was like some sort of bizarre horror film, and I did not yeah, want to watch yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and we also got, I think, the beginning of the downfall of Adam Sandler with The Water Boy, even though it was a big hit. Uh, I think it was the first one that, I mean, I, I've never been that big a fan of his. Mm-hmm. but i i think that at least like billy madison and uh the wedding singers have have some jokes that land mm-hmm. uh i think the water boy was was the beginning of the end <laughs> for me uh that was terrible and then i personally hated armageddon i remember watching it with my friends and they were all having a great time and I was just sitting in there like, what? What are you guys doing? Like this, to me, it was just so stupid. And so I, I've never been a big person with disaster movies. They're just not my mm-hmm. genre. So mm-hmm. that's part of it. But I, it, it was just one of the first times that I had like a distinctly different response to, than everybody else that I was with. <laughs> I was watching right. I, I did not care for it. And uh, yeah. I don't like it. So I don't know. How do you feel about Armageddon or Michael Bay? Um, Armageddon. I saw it a long time ago and I rewatched it for this and um, I didn't like it. Um, no, no. Um, <laughs> it, but it feels very much like his sort of movie, which I guess is just, you know, Michael Bay's style is like all over it. It's a bizarre movie though. It has like these weird jokes that like, have not aged well at all and it's really very sexist in many ways and it's also very like has a very weird attitude that, that, that you know sort of macho sort of thing yeah yeah that's michael bay for you the machismo thing and and the the whole like love scene with animal crackers i'm just like i didn't need that <laughs> yeah, in real right. life i did not <laughs> need that so i i really just like that one too and so yeah that's some of the bad movies it's it's not as bad as our 2008 bad movies like hottie and the naughty or something like that most of these are uh but yeah and patch adams it's pretty terrible which was a huge hit i didn't know it made that much money yeah Um, Yeah, and i I feel bad for the real guy because uh, evidently he's actually a really cool guy and like what he does is is a but right. Rob Williams, man, when he had a bad script, he struggled. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. So that's sort of our breakdown. The worst, uh, Gene Siskel had Godzilla as his worst of the year, and Roger Ebert had Patch Adams as his worst for the year. So. All right, there we go. So let's dive into our list. Uh, did you have any uh, honorable mentions you wanted to talk about real quick? Um, um, I don't know. Um, there's one honorable mention that I'm pretty sure is going to be on your list, so I'll okay. save that for later. Um, a couple movies that I liked that didn't quite make the list. I had a little trouble coming up with 10. There's like six or so movies that i really love and then i was trying to get other movies that i really loved into the bottom spots and i was rewatching a lot and seeing a lot of movies that i really admired or that like things about them but that didn't really you know yeah uh, go the whole way for me 
And some of them include uh, Primary Colors, which is this Mike Nichols movie written by Elaine May about the sort of like a version of the Clintons, uh, Clinton campaign from 92, which I thought was really interesting, Had a, especially watching it these year, many years later. Uh-huh. I was expecting it to be dated, but it actually, you know, feels relevant in a lot of ways. And I think yeah. it's worth a watch. Also, yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. Pretty good movie. Good acting. Uh, and I actually, I actually read the book at the time. Uh, so oh, wow. yeah, so it was a pretty good, pretty good uh, uh, movie. So yeah. yeah. And also Beloved, which is also based on a very obviously acclaimed book by uh, Toni Morrison and the movie version starring Oprah and directed by Jonathan Demme, which I think is a very out there sort of take mm-hmm. you know i didn't expect like such a bizarre sort of ghost story type of movie that goes all the way there from you know such a, i expected like mm-hmm. a prestige period movie and it's something diff- quite different i don't yeah. think you know there's things about it that i'm a little uh, unsure of but i think it's really uh, bold filmmaking so i really like that too cool yeah, some of my honorable mentions. I have uh, Big P- Babe, Pig in the City. I think it is really, really out there and and cool and different and uh, kind of create. I, I like the fact that they that you know George Miller just did his own crazy thing and I don't mm-hmm. know. I enjoy. It. I enjoy it. It's it's definitely divisive, but I, I like it. And then uh, Shakespeare in Love. I have at fourteen. Summer of the Monkeys is definitely an underrated live action Disney film oh. very sweet uh based on book. yeah uh a depression era story of a boy who, who finds these uh these circus um monkeys anyway right. it's, it's good uh and then i actually really love the live action madeline with uh francis yeah. mcdermott it's mm-hmm. funny it's sweet uh it's kind of a precursor to something like paddington uh it's i i really like it and i i almost had this in my top 10 and last minute changed it out but i really do love hope floats it was a big step for sandra bullock who i've always been a big fan of uh, especially back then uh this was a tearjerker as opposed to her typical at that time she had just been basically doing romantic comedies except for maybe like speed Mm -hmm. um or demolition man and so for her to come out with this really emotional movie uh where about you know i I like the fact that it's very untidy you know she (laughs) uh she spends a lot of the movie in like her pajamas and she was basically dumped on national television and how how that would feel i think may whitman is really good as her daughter who like kind of hates her mom and I, as opposed to like a lot of movies where she'd be sort of precocious and, and cute and everything. And I think that Harry Connick Jr. is actually really swoon worthy and I really like it. Uh, but uh, anyway, I ended up having it at 11. So right. my honorable mentions. So, all right, let's talk about our list. So I'm going to, we'll each, I'll share my number 10 and you share yours. So Perfect. after much, weighing back and forth back and forth i decided number 10 i went with a bug's life from Uh pixar yeah i think this movie is is kind of underrated i i still think it actually looks really cool i think they were very inventive in creating the the uh the the whole colony 
and the whole ants. And I love like sequences, like when he goes to the city, <laughs> that, mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. really creative. And, you know, a lot of, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about a star is born and how it was like the, it, for me, it, it follows a certain formula, but it was executed really well. And I think that's the same here for this, you know, I don't have a problem with a, with a formula or something being somewhat uh, predictable if it's executed well. And I think this is, you know, we've seen Flick's kind of character many times, but I think it's executed well. I'm definitely rooting for him and I, Princess Ada, and I love like little scenes like (laughs) the, the, I love when he's like, he's like, it's a rock. (laughs) I know it's a rock. Don't you think I've spent a lot of time around rocks? Something like that I think is really fun. And I, I love this whole circus troupe uh with there and and uh i love that someday i'll be a beautiful butterfly and then everything will be better and that's really funny and i i think that hopper is a pretty good villain and uh the pretty menacing and uh scary i think that the scene with the the bird is pretty well done uh very, very um it goes there it's like pretty yeah. dark, the scene with the bird yeah yeah i agree so i think it has a great voice cast everybody uh you know now we're kind of down on kevin spacey but he does a good job uh as hopper uh julie's dreyfus dave foley hayden panettieri uh richard kind the whole cast david hyde pierce great cast so i'm gonna go with bugs life at number 10 well good i uh i actually agree with you i think a bugs life is it's actually a, a really good movie and I think it's very underrated in the Pixar sort of uh, canon when people talk about Pixar movies they tend to forget it or rank it really low and I think it's it, it's really solid I mean yeah. you know it's a really good movie yeah do you like so you like it better than Ants in the Ants to oh like... I don't think I've ever like you know seen Ants all the way through and I've tried <laughs> a couple times yeah yeah i agree i ants is is was a weird weird movie but i don't think it, it works it makes some interesting choices uh but i don't know uh, it, the <laughs> animation in ants the the faces are really freaky they i think they were a step behind pixar on that and yeah. they and i think pixar did the right call in making the ants look so different from what actual ants look like you know they're blue and they have these big eyes and whatever they made them very cartoony and endearing i do like the whole kind of war aspect of ants which it's really strange but uh it's kind of it's kind of interesting but like the whole woody and like it's mixing this like war subplot with like woody allen thing it doesn't quite work for me and it is very brown ants the whole movie is just like brown 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 so anyway uh yeah what do you have at number 10 so my number 10 same as you after much deliberation (laughs) i ended up with a movie that really meant a lot to me as a as a teenager especially and that i recently rewatched, and i think is still pretty cool and exciting and that is uh, the movie run lola run which is a german a movie directed by Tom Tekver in which uh, it's basically it's a very 90s movie with like a techno soundtrack and a lot of like you know yeah. editing crazy editing and cinematography and it's basically the story of this girl Lola 
whose boyfriend has gotten into trouble with some mobsters and he has to come up with like a uh, hundred thousand um uh, I think it was German marks back then, right? So uh-huh. she has to like, she only has 20 minutes to find the money and meet him and whatever. And you see her try to do this and fail a couple of times. And then like the whole movie like resets and then she tries again. So it's kind of like a video game inspired sort of movie it has that sort of structure. And it's really cool. It uses animation at some of it. The music is great. And it's, I think the movie tries to be about some like philosophical ideas about life and reincarnation or whatever. I'm not sure that I'm all the way there with it about uh-huh. that. I'm not sure what it's want to say, but as a like exciting, fun experience that is like very energetic filmmaking that it's about movement and action. I think it's really, really exciting and really fun to watch still to this day. That's cool. I need to watch that. I haven't seen that. That sounds good. Uh, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. That sounds mm-hmm. Sounds good. It's really uh, fun. Yeah, cool. So my number nine is Mighty Joe Young. This is the remake. I haven't seen the original, and so maybe if I saw the original, I wouldn't like it as much. But I think it's—I do think it's an underrated Disney film. And when I think about movies that are similar that are made today, with something like Kong Skull Island, I just this is just so much better than something like that. This has like real heart. And the VFX looks so much better in this, in my opinion, than in something like Kong Skull Island. And hmm. uh, it, it's, uh, I, I, I just think if you want like a blockbuster that's uh, like that has heart, that looks great, that's, uh, you know, an old fashioned family blockbuster, then this is it. You've got Shelley's Theron, you have Bill Paxton, Regina King, uh, a great pretty great cast like some people would say oh the villains are stock villain characters there's just these poacher guys but i don't really care like that's fine for me if it's like uh if it's done well and they're fun stock villains i'm fine with that uh and uh so i mean i i don't know in, in this kind of a blockbuster i don't need every character to be like deep and fleshed out i guess but uh but i i i just feel like this is really satisfying family blockbuster. It was cool. I reviewed it on my channel and it was neat to see a lot of people like, Oh yeah, I love that movie. That movie is so underrated. Uh, and so I don't know. It's the relationship between Charlie's throne and this and Joe (laughs) is Mm -hmm. well done and you feel invested. And, uh, so I, 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 I like it. And James Horner score, which always is a plus in my opinion. Cool. So, uh, I have actually never seen it, but you know, uh, formative time for a six year old. I remember the trailer very vividly when I watched it in the, <laughs> in front of probably some other Disney movie. And um, I remember back then thinking, being very uh, impressed by the visual effects. Yeah. Like that, you know, that gorilla really looked like something of this world when I saw it as a six-year-old. Yeah, you're number nine. All right, so my number nine is another European art movie. This time is one called The Celebration, and that was directed by Danish director Thomas Winterberg. In 1995, this group of uh, European filmmakers mostly, including uh, Lars von Trier and also the director of this movie, Uh, got together and created this Dogma 95 movement, which were these sets of rules which 
determine what kind of movie you want you had to make in order to be like you know part of this movement and they wanted to be very realistic and have this very specific aesthetic and they had a bunch of rules for example you could only use natural lighting and it could only be in a real location you couldn't bring any props or you know things that you couldn't find in that location um, had to be handheld camera video all these sort of things uh, and the celebration is the first movie that tried to honor these rules and it's basically the story of this wealthy family that comes together to celebrate the birthday of um, basically the patriarch I guess of the family and then they go to dinner and one of the children makes a toast in which he accuses the dad of having abused him as a child sexually and there's this whole thing of like what is going on the whole family is trying to like first is saying well he's you know just joking or whatever he's saying this and there's this whole like sort of crisis management of what is going on is it true is it not what's going on between the dad and the kid and you know it's sort of like a very um european sort of controversial family drama sort of thing um, and it's very interesting because of precisely because of i think the filmmaking because all of these limitations that the movement had put on the filmmakers this movie really goes around them in a really interesting way and the editing is very bizarre um actually i might not recommend you seeing this movie because of your motion sickness because there's a lot of handheld camera there's a lot of like you know it really wants to put you in a very uncomfortable situation through very uncomfortable filmmaking and it's mm. not a pretty looking movie there's a lot of weird cuts and camera moving all the way around so yeah it really puts you in a very stressed out sort of mood as if you were experiencing this very uncomfortable moment in these people's lives right so my number eight is a film that a lot of people probably dismiss because it's a remake of a classic uh and and it's a rom-com so people dismiss those a lot of times too uh, but for me, I actually think The Parrot Trap is a great movie. It's number eight for me. I really love both versions of Parrot Trap. I, even though it probably made life terrible for all people that were divorced with kids. <laughs> um, but, but I really love, I love the original with Hayley Mills. Marina O'Hara is amazing in it. Uh, and I love, I think this is one of the best, if I would, best remakes ever made like as far as it's just really it, it it's sweet great chemistry between dennis quaid and hasha richardson i love the 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 uh little side romance with the butler and the housekeeper mm -hmm. whatever i love yeah. that that's so cute i i think that Lindsay lohan does a good job of portraying the two different girls and having individual personalities and and uh it pulls it off uh, i think pretty well and i totally could be submarined like they, these girls do to this to meredith here no. like, i am not an outdoors camping person at all and like, <laughs> you could easily i love when she's like get me out of this stinking fresh air I'm like, oh, yeah that's me that's me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so i i think that's really funny and i don't know i just i i think a lot of people they say that nancy myers is the is the uh new nor efron i highly disagree i don't think that she's near as good 
uh, certainly not even close to as good a writer as Nora Ephron. Uh, but I think this is probably your best movie. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I would agree so much with that. In fact, that Parent Trap is also my number eight. Oh, in look at that! Talking to an event. Yeah. So, what but do you yeah. like about it? I think, well, first of all, this is a foundational movie for me. And my Aww. sister used to love this movie. So we watched it all the time in my house. So it's like one of those movies that is, you know, stuck in my brain from yeah. an early age. And I think it's just a very, very elemental movie about like very sort of, you know, strong uh, emotions that you have as a kid, right? Like I think it plays into this very sort of uh, elemental fantasy of like thinking maybe I do have like a twin lost, lost twin yeah, yeah. person that is just like me but just the, the different you know what yeah. I mean and also of course there's a whole thing of like trying to get the parents back together when they have been divorced it's also probably a really strong childhood feeling as well so I think it plays into that really well for children and for adults Rewatching it a couple of days ago, the thing that really struck me was how many times I teared up whenever one of the adults recognized the child that they hadn't seen in a long time, right? When they realized that Annie was actually Hallie or the other way around and the way they reacted to it, it was like, you know, it was this very overwhelming feeling of like you're seeing a person that you thought you knew with completely different eyes because it's yeah. a different person than what you were thinking. And it's, it was really moving in that yeah. way to me. Well, and, and just when they're talking about like their, their love and their like uh, their lives. And I think, I think it, it's, it is heartfelt. It is. And, and they just have such good chemistry. The two of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really, really, yeah. really that good. Is great. And Natasha Richardson. Really yeah. Great. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's great. Well, that's fun that we both have it at number eight. I mean, the whole idea of just like splitting up your, like we're each going to take one is kind of bizarre. But... Completely ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think you could ever do that. That's like yeah. cruelty, but you know, it works for this sort of thing. Yeah. So, all right. Well, so my number seven is The Mask of Zorro. And this movie is such a fun movie. It's a fun blockbuster uh, with, I think, perfect casting of Antonio Madera's as Zorro. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You have Anthony Hopkins as the original Zorro, which probably should be somebody that's Latino, but whatever, okay. it works. Yeah. And <laughs> and then Catherine Zeta-Jones, perfect casting. She's so like sexy and great, and they have really good chemistry between the two of them. There's some really fun like old school kind of action sword fighting on horses stuff like that uh you know martin campbell he knows how to make well when he wants to he knows how to make a a really entertaining blockbuster mm-hmm. um and, and he's phoning it in on green lantern but when he wants to he can make a really fun whether it's james bond or uh or uh or the wow. or this and I, I i don't know i just really like it i think it's funny and it's exciting and it has some good set pieces action set pieces and uh so yeah i have it number seven yeah it's a really fun movie i agree with that and i agree antonio banderas is really good in it very charismatic very charming 
um, yeah, I endorse this pick. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, so what do you have at number seven? My number seven is a movie that we mentioned before, and that is the very infamous Shakespeare in Love. Ah, yes. Winner of the Best Picture Oscar for 1998, which, and you know, has been very maligned throughout the years. Uh, but I think it's a very charming, very enjoyable, very successful movie. I think it's funny. I think it's uh, romantic. I think most of the performances are great. Also, you have to understand, I'm, uh, I went to school for theater. I'm a theater person. I oh, write yeah. plays. So I do enjoy all of the like sort of backstage things that are going on in the movie and all the inside jokes about Shakespeare and theater and things like that. Um, on that front, I think the movie is very uh, clever and very witty about the, you know, the sort of inside jokes that it makes about that. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy it immensely. And, I, you know, it's my number seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I, it's, I think that Gwyneth and, and Joseph Fiennes have pretty good chemistry. And I mean, that's like, honestly, like 90% of a romance. If the, if the leads have chemistry, then I'm probably going to like it. And it's so frustrating too. I, I mean, it must be so frustrating for the makers of the film because that's like kind of an intangible that they have no control over. You can have all of the people, all of the, you know pieces in a row and it just doesn't have the chemistry and then you can have and then it just works like it's a weird thing but i think they do and i think that uh there's definitely a lot of sexy scenes for sure in here (laughs) um but yeah the whole idea of like playing a part and, and i think it's a very like fun idea of the idea mm-hmm. of sort of the idea that Shakespeare you know was ins- was inspired and you get to see little peeks into Romeo and Juliet and and mm-hmm. some of his other plays and uh it's fun and you get to see a uh a, a young Ben Affleck in here yeah and who is very funny and yeah. I think very good in this movie I think yeah. it's one of his best performances actually yeah. it's a great cast Rupert Everett mm-hmm. Colin Firth is the villain Colin Firth. You have uh, Tom Wilkinson is also really funny. Uh-huh. Um, Jeffrey Rush, Judy Dench, with who we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. My number six is I. If you follow my channel, you know I love Cinderella, and I have reviewed tons of different versions of Cinderella on my channel. And so it's probably no surprise then that I have Ever After as number six on my list. It's one of my favorite versions of Cinderella. This is definitely like the feminist version of Cinderella. Like she's like a scholar and read. (laughs) They like have this romantic date in the, in this library that's like surrounded by Ivy and it's very like romantic and they, they debate utopia and (laughs) philosophy and it's great. And so romantic. I think Doug Ray Scott is so, uh, so great as the prince of this and, I, I think that they do have chemistry, Drew Barrymore and Doug Scott. I love when she frees herself from this guy that has her. I actually think that Angelica Houston is as the uh, evil, uh, she's Baroness Rodmiga de Ghent or something like that is her name in this. I think she's actually a pretty well-written character. She's a pretty good version of the evil stepmother. Uh, she talks about how, you know, she just, she had, basically had to get married because you know she had to survive and she didn't know her danielle's father at all i really like 
that they, this is the only one that I know of that has a male fairy godmother. And the fact that mm-hmm. they didn't have any magic was, was kind of fun and creative. And uh, like I, think you're, I think you're burying the lead a little bit, not saying that the fairy godmother is Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci is the fairy godmother. And so like science and like uh, inventiveness is, is their version of magic, which is fun. And uh, I, I just really love it. I think uh, uh, that uh, Melanie Lins- Linsky is really good as one of the evil stepsisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I, I love it. I think it is so romantic. Cool. I saw it as a kid. I remember thinking it, it was weird because of the whole Leonardo da Vinci thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's really, it's really a pretty good movie. Yeah, it is. Six is a movie that I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about later again. And that is Afterlife, the ah, Japanese movie directed yes. by Hirokazu Koreeda, which I think is on your list as well. It is. Yeah. So. Yeah. So should we save it for later? Yeah, we can save okay. it. Great. So, okay. So my number five is Mulan. Uh, I love Mulan. I think uh, that it's it's it does a lot of things that right the Pocahontas did wrong for me mm. in telling this kind of story. Uh, I think it's I, I like Mulan so much as a character. She's she's strong, but she's like willing to play ball with people which Pocahontas really wasn't uh, like she does the matchmaking you know ceremony whatever she tries she's really trying but it's it's just not who she is and it's not working and then she she only does she only joins the army to save her father she doesn't do <laughs> it out of rebellion or out of uh you know some kind of free spirit thing uh, which makes her a really easy character to root for and a really likable character. And I love the the scene when she makes her decision and she tries on the, she puts on the armor. You see her cutting her hair and that whole sequence with the music, I think is really strong. Mm-hmm. I actually lo- really like this, the music in this. I, and I feel like it's a little underrated as <laughs> music. Um, and I think that it's really fun to see the, uh, I don't know, Disney's view on like gender dynamics is really kind of fun, you know, like, like is, 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 it's kind of fascinating of like, oh, well, you know, boys smell and how they yeah. like the, the, the other soldiers and, and kind of the affications that she has to take on in order to fit mm-hmm. in is really cool. And I, the, uh, and the big knock against this movie that people usually say is that the villain is, one note and not very good but i i saw i heard an interesting debate about that where someone said that really he's not the actual villain like the army is the villain the whole you know that are taking over trying to take over that's kind of an interesting take on it but uh but yeah it's fine with me i don't care about that uh i think eddie murphy's actually better in this than he is in shrek personally and I think it's actually quite devastating when it gets uncovered that she's a woman. And I, I think that uh, Chang, the, the guy, is super hot. I love him. <laughs> and so all those reasons, I mean, some people, uh, like the scenes with the ancestors are cringy and not great. But overall, I just really like, I love the animation. And uh, I love um, Leah Salong 
as a voice. Mm-hmm. She's great. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I like Mulan as well. I think it's, um, I think it's a very solid movie. I think it works really well. I would say that it is, um, I just think it doesn't really hit the peaks of some of the other movies from this period in Disney, but uh-huh. it's like one of the better ones, I think for sure. Um, the music, I think there's some standouts in the music. The one, uh, the one you alluded to, the training montage song. Yeah. What's that one called? Make a it's man out of you. Make a man out of you. That I think it's an amazing piece of like, uh, you know, musical number. I think yeah. that is so great. And then the other songs, I you know, some of them are better than others. Um, but overall, I think it's a really. I think it's a very successful movie. Obviously, like you say, the gender dynamics are very 1998. And, uh, but I think it works for the most part. Yeah. And it does go to some dark places for a Disney film. They, there, there's the whole scene where Chang returns to his village and they've all been, you know, slaughtered. That's pretty. Mm -hmm. pretty Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, So what do you have at number five? Uh, at number five, I have uh, The Big Lebowski. Oh, all right. A famous movie uh, that was a bit of a failure at the time, at least at the box office, but became sort of a cult classic, directed yeah. by the Coen brothers, who are some of my favorite uh, filmmakers of, you know, working today. Um, Jeff Bridges as the lead role. He, I think he's amazing as the dude who is this guy who is sort of like a slacker who gets uh, thrown in the middle of this sort of like noir type conspiracy. Um, I think the thing about the Big Lebowski is that either you vibe with it or you don't, right? It's either your thing and you're okay with it being this weird movie, which the plot doesn't really make that much sense. And it's just not really about what happens, but just like experiencing the whole thing and enjoying it. Or, or you don't. And if you don't, then you're not going to like it. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just, an, it's like a hangout movie in which you want to hang out in this world. And the thing that I admire the most about it is I think precisely the fact that uh, I think that the movie is just, it is what it is. It doesn't mm-hmm. really want to do anything other than just do the things that it wants to do you know do things that the i guess the coen brothers thought were funny or number four i have the truman show and i love the truman show on so many levels i i really think jim carrey works in this role as truman and i uh i i have a a, a, a i guess a special place in my heart for it because uh when i was working as a teaching assistant uh i i my emphasis in college was on political theory mm-hmm. and I was trying to explain to this woman about the Plato's theory, uh, analogy of the cave. Right. And explain to her, what is it? And I was like, and then it just hit me. I'm like, it's the Truman show. And I'm like, have you seen the Truman show? <laughs> right. And, 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 uh, I, and I talked to her about how the directors like the philosopher Kings, who's projecting the, the life that's the right life for, Truman, just like in the analogy, mm-hmm. and, uh, and she was like, "Oh, okay, yes." <laughs> I felt so proud of myself that I uh, I just explained that to to her, and uh, and so anyway. But I mm-hmm. I think it's actually really funny, and it's really thought provoking and sweet. Mm-hmm. 
and I think that Larlini is so good as this woman who's pretending to be, mm-hmm. but actually is his wife. Like that's such a weird thing. Uh, I and I like Ed Harris a lot as the director, and it's such a it's such an interesting movie to watch now after we've had you know 20 years of reality television and voyeurism and and uh, stuff like that and that so it almost has this sort of dark edge to it that i don't think it necessarily even had back then uh that it has now and uh i but there's still a hopeful hopeful feeling about it and uh, you know to sort of ask that sort of basic question is it better to live a life of choices where you can screw up your life or is it better to have limited choices and make the right, you know, and be content? Like, is it better to have the the good and the bad? Uh, And so the good is really, really good. And the bad is, can be really, really bad. Or is it better to just live life, eh, you know? And uh, so it's an interesting question. And, uh, you know, a lot of books have been written about that same question, something like the giver. So, I, I like the Truman Show a lot. I think it's a it's a really good movie. I think Jim Carrey is excellent in the movie. Yeah. I think he does an amazing job, and I think he is perfect casting. And yeah. in 1998, I can't really think of any other actor that it would have done a better job to of being this sort of lovable person that the whole world is obsessed with because the whole world was obsessed with Jim Carrey back in the 90s. You know. He was like this charismatic figure. And I think he is, he really shows a very sweet side to himself that I think up to that point he hadn't really explored as much. Um, So I think he's excellent. My only issue with the movie, and it's not really a huge issue. I think the movie works really well on its own. I just feel like I am more interested in what happens after the movie ends, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. I feel like I, feel like I, I, for some reason, I feel very much like oh, I just want this movie to keep going. I want to know what happens when this guy leaves the bubble. You know, yeah. that's the only thing. I just so, think like things were getting really interesting, and then the movie ends, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's a big triumph, but I also, you know, I feel like we were getting to what I really wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'd like to see him go to finally go to Fiji. That would be great. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can see that. Uh, maybe we, we should have gotten a sequel. Peter Ware, let us down. That would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's your number four? My number four is another movie by another of my very favorite directors, and that is uh, Rushmore, directed uh-huh. by Wes Anderson. And it's his second movie about a Max Fisher, played by Jason Schwartzman, who is this high school student who is a bad student, but is really great at extracurricular activities and is the president of every single club in the school. And um, he sort of gets into this fascination with one of his teachers and he and there's a sort of rivalry between him and one of the fathers at the school who is also sort of courting the teacher. Um, I think... Um, this is, well, you know, Anderson is one of my favorite directors. I think this is the movie in which he really comes into his own. His first movie before this, Bottle Rocket, I think is really interesting, but there's some things that don't really quite work about it, especially towards the end for me. And this one, I feel like it's really, 
a whole really gets to the sort of character that he's interested in. And, you know, Max Fisher is, uh, you know, I, it's an annoying character. It's a frustrating boy. He's very self uh, aggrandizing and he's very self-centered in many ways. Um, but I really identify with him because I was kind of that way when I was in high school. And I was also very interested in theater. Like he is putting on this crazy elaborate shows, even though it's just a high school production. And um, yeah, I think that's how I connect with the movie. It's yeah. really about this kid sort of learning about life. Yeah, you know, I think I like personally like Wes Anderson more when he's like a little bit gentler. Mm-hmm. Something like Moonrise Kingdom, I think I like better uh, than this. I, I it had been a little bit oversold to me. I think uh, when I people were saying it's the greatest thing ever and it's a comedy, greatest comedy and whatever. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if I hadn't had that kind of build up, then maybe I might have thought differently. But to me, I felt like I felt kind of bad for this teacher. Like I felt like I oh, definitely. I felt like it was it was a little mean spirited for me, uh, the way they treated her and hmm. the way, uh, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't love it, <laughs> but I, right. I, I get it and I get why, why you would like it. But yeah, I think I like the more gentle version of what's mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, I could see that. I definitely think it's, it's on purpose that both Max and, uh, the Bill Murray character, uh, are really sort of, focused on each other and they're and fighting each other over this woman who they don't really you know take that much take her into account as a real person i think that's part of the story but also i can see how that can be frustrating on its own so i totally understand yeah cool well good all right so my number three is the before aforementioned afterlife by uh corida and i I, we talked about corida in our 2008 uh ranking Mm -hmm. and i i I, even though his movies all have really high scores i still think he's uh under underappreciated uh and i i wish that more people uh i wish that he had kind of the the following that's I mean, he's not going to have the following of like Kurosawa or whatever, but I kind of wish he was one of those, one of those directors where people just knew his name and knew Mm. it was going to be good uh, because he deserves it. And his movies are just great. And this movie is really great. Uh, It's, it's so clever. I love movies about memories. I I love Mm -hmm. the play Our Town. I think it's so good. um, I love uh, Defending Your Life with Mm -hmm. uh, Albert Brooks. If you've ever seen that, it's really funny in Meryl Streep. Uh, and this is kind of that same idea of, uh, of those of those uh, and this is the idea is there's this way station in between the spirit world and 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 uh, earth and you what happens is you get there and you have to decide one memory that you want to take that they're going to make like a little like movie off of they're going to make they're going to and then they're going to give it to you and take you take it on to the next step of mm-hmm. journey and so it's about all these different people that are trying to decide what memory that they're going to have and a lot of them it's really easy you know there's disneyland or something like that but then others are really struggling to come up with anything and some don't feel like worthy of picking anything and it's so moving and lovely and uh it's probably the best made movie i think on my list 
Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, I was going for favorites versus best. I think if I were going to, I think this is the best made movie of the list. Uh, uh, he's just, it's beautifully realized and uh, uh, it's just such an interesting idea. You leave you thinking, what would I pick? What memory mm-hmm. would I want to have made? Yeah. I agree. It was my number six. And I think it's a great movie. I think it's such a cool, unique vision of the afterlife that, you know, I've never seen something quite like it. I love that the memories are all in VHS and everything is like very like, you know, it's like, it feels, I guess back then it was like technology of the time, but it also feels a little bit out of time in in the way. Yeah. Sort of big house where everyone is and they're all thinking about their memories and I really particularly love the second part of the movie when they start to recreate the memories and you yeah. realize that it's not just some like magical thing where you like, they p- pluck them out of your brain or something, which you could see in other sci-fi movies, but yeah. rather that they have to put up the memory again and like almost like making a movie, which I think is also something that he's getting into yeah. in, this, in this movie. And I think, yeah, it's, it's such a, yeah, it's such a soulful, very... As it's usually his style for Korea, the just like, you know, subtle, but like very deeply felt movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it's, I'm glad you got to see it because it's, it's tough to find. Uh, I actually have it on VHS, believe it or not. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I watched it because it's out of print. Uh, and I just wish that Criterion would release it. It, it deserves to be a Criterion. Like there's Absolutely. an idea. Yeah. Or, yeah, at the very least, it deserves some sort of release on, like, digital media that, you know, yeah. of some sort. If Criterion did it, it would be great because they've done great work with other yeah. Korea movies. Yeah. You have this number three. My number three is the uh, the movie that very infamously lost the Best Picture Oscar to, save, to Shakespeare yeah. in Love. And it is Saving Private Ryan, directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you like about this? So I think it's a, it's a, I mean, I love Spielberg and I think this is a great movie. Um, I think a lot of people think the opening battle sequence is, which I agree with, is like an uh, outstanding piece of filmmaking. It's just like such a visceral puts you there recreation of war and it's like so intense and you know when I first saw it I was I got really like oh my god I can't even picture myself like I would immediately die in that situation I wouldn't even know what to do with myself and it's just incredible that people had to go through it and some of them survived you know Um, and then a lot of people I think feel like the movie kind of like loses steam after that or becomes a little more traditional a little hokey or whatever Uh I disagree with those people I think that even though I can see anyone liking the movie for being a very you know emotional story about veterans and honoring the veterans I also see it as a movie that has while it does that and I think it really has a lot of empathy for the people who had to go through this whole thing I think it's also a little critical of the whole situation of war and what um, you know I think this the idea that this whole troop has to go and find this one person and save this one person Uh I think it's both very heroic and also like I think the movie also asks many questions about what is really the point of that right like what is um 
how do we quantify the lives of people like saving this one person but like everyone else should also is dying around them and you know well you're happy that this that they're given the sacrifice it also feels really strange like i think it makes me really think of uh, the whole sort of pointlessness of war while being a really engaging very emotional movie yeah i can uh, <clears throat> excuse me i can understand that it's a it's a good movie i i rewatched it for this list and i i do feel like though there are other war movies that i think are like a little bit better in retrospect um and you're gonna freak out about this but <laughs> i think just in structure a movie like for me hacksaw ridge <laughs> because i'm very invested in like the character by the time the carnage starts sure of it like i feel like you get that carnage all at the beginning as opposed to at the end uh and so i'm not like really invested in those characters because i think even something like dunkirk uh it builds it builds yeah. and builds and builds and builds And so I'm able to be more invested in the characters than I yeah. was. I feel, I do feel like this movie is, I'm in the camp, I guess, that thinks it's a little top heavy. Um, but I, I don't think that's, the other stuff is bad. I just, it just didn't make my top 10 list. Right. I, yeah, I think in that case, it's just one of those things in which we just, it's just a disagreement. Like it's just yeah. a personal thing, right? Because I feel that the, the actors are so charismatic in this movie that I really get to feel a lot for them in very little time. I think it's very effective at connecting me with them very quickly in a way that I really struggled, for example, in Dunkirk uh, to really know their personalities or anything. And Hexer Rich is a completely different can of worms for me. I have like <laughs> a, a, other Fair sorts enough. of issues with the movie. But yeah, no, I love this movie. I put it at number yeah. three. Cool, great. It's a good, it's a good film. Uh, so, all right. So my number two is an animated film because, you know, I love animation and it's The Prince of Egypt. The Prince of Egypt is actually in my top 10 favorite animated films of all time. I wow. love The Prince of Egypt. I think it does, I think it's the best version of the Moses story, in my opinion. I love the reverence that the movie has. Uh, there's even in scenes that are really big and bombastic i think there's a reverence and awe that you feel like the party of the red sea i think is is you feel it as a spiritual moment for me uh i i think the burning bush is so beautifully done i think there's a real reverence there i love the whole relationship between these two brothers and how it, it grows throughout the whole film I love uh, the animation is stunning in my opinion. I think it is beautiful and it breaks my heart that I wish that, that these DreamWorks films, uh, Spirit of the Cimarron and the Prince of Egypt, I wish that they had been the big hits, not the comedies, because I wish that they had gone in this direction as a studio and not in the Shrek direction, but sadly that was not the case. I really love, uh, I love the songs. I think Steven Schwartz, I think these are his best songs. I love the score by Hans Zimmer. I, I love, uh, I just, I just love it. I think it's, the only part that doesn't work for me is the, is the priests uh, who are, 
that song is a groaner. <laughs> I don't really like it. Um, wait, wait, but wait. what's that? Yeah, no, I was just agreeing with oh, you. You're yeah. talking about the Steve Martin, Martin Short yeah. characters, right? But I, I think that unlike the gargoyles in uh, in Hunchback, where that that those characters actually dramatically affect the plot mm-hmm. and like make quasi make certain choices and whatever. And so I find that I find these more forgiving. I'm able to put them aside because they don't really affect the plot that much mm-hmm. or the main characters. Um, but I, I don't know. I love like, look at your life through heaven's eyes. And it gets a beautiful song. I love, uh, when you believe, I think it's a great song. I love, uh, uh, I think they got really good singers, really good voice talent. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I just love it. So there we go. Yeah. Um, I will agree with some of what you said. I will say this is definitely the best looking non-Disney animated movie of the 90s for Mm -hmm. sure. I think it is beautifully done. The animation is stunning and I also agree that it I think it I find it very similar to Hunchback of Notre Dame in in very in various ways especially because it's trying to tackle these sort of heavier more serious topics than animation usually does and I think it does a really good job at something that Hunchback doesn't do well which is what you talk about the gargoyles which is the sort of comedic relief part of it I think Hunchback suffers a lot from having to feeling like it has to cater to kids like it has to have some lightness and some comedy and and it ends up having it in weird places that this movie doesn't so I think that's a really good call on the directors of this movie um, the part where I kind of disagree with, I think, I think most people really like this movie from what I, from my general sense. I know my wife yeah. loves the movie. We watched it together. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And um, I would say the movie is just like a little dull for me. And, and the thing that I disagree with most with most people is the music. I think people love the score for this movie and love the songs and I just can't get into it for some reason. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I just, you know, I just can't get there. But I think it's a pretty good movie overall. Yeah. It just, it's not yeah. one of my favorites. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just, people have different tastes in music. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just love it. And I think uh, that it is my favorite version of the Moses story. It's certainly a billion times better than that Ridley Scott movie from a couple oh, of times. Travesty. Number two is... Um, out of Sight, directed by Steven Soderbergh. And it's a movie about George Clooney plays this sort of master criminal who's escaping prison to pull off a, a job. And Jennifer Lopez is the sort of police detective who is like sort of running after him and trying to catch him. Now, the thing is, they are falling in love at the same time. So they are kind of like finding each other attractive and she's got to hunt him down, but they're kind of like feeling each other. It's a very great crime movie. And I think it's a great from top to bottom. It's very cool. It's, it's a great screenplay. The ending is, I think, fantastic. It builds up really well. The thing that I love the most about this movie is that it has the, I think, what is the sexiest movie scene that I have ever seen in any movie. It is just, I don't want to spoil it. I don't think you've seen the movie, right? I haven't. I haven't. Okay, so I don't want to spoil it. It 
comes in the middle of the movie, takes place at a bar between George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, and it's the sexiest thing I have ever seen. Yeah. Obviously, it, these are two very attractive, very sexy people. Right. And they have great chemistry together. And when they come into the scene, it's just, oh my God, I just had to put it in number two <laughs> because I have never seen something like it. Cool. Yeah, I've heard of, I've heard of that uh, and that it, it's, it's a good one. Uh, so I'll have to check it out. Uh, so, all right. We are at our number ones. This is very exciting. Number one from 1998. And some mm-hmm. people might criticize my number one. I don't care. My number one is You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail is probably the movie I quote the most in my life. <laughs> yeah. um, whether it's like emotional moments, like uh, when I love when she says uh, that people always say change is a good thing, but what they're really saying is something you didn't want to have happen has happened. <laughs> and I like, that's so great. I love, I don't know, just even like little things, like whenever I'm at a movie theater, I always think of a, uh, I so often I think of, <laughs> this is a hot dog singing. You did quiet by the hot dog singing. And I, I love like, uh, I love the, the, the supporting cast is so great with great Kinnear and looks like, the, the thank you thank you that whole scene is hilarious i i love gene stapleton as the uh <laughs> she fell in love with generous Will franco like that's hilarious to me <laughs> like sure you spend in in italy you you spend way too much on you buy leather jackets for way more than they're worth but you don't fall in love with fascist dictators like hilarious um i just i mean the real star for me in this movie is nora Ephron's brilliant writing i just think mm. she is the best i love her books i love uh even her bad movies they're still like i think little you there's little nuggets of Nora Ephron in there that I can kind of take away from them even though I acknowledge they're bad but this one I just love everything about it I love the heart to it I love the focus on reading and books I love the 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 sort of correspondence between the two of them I love I actually think it's a really like interesting movie about work and how we Mm -hmm. so identify like people say what do you do they're mm. they're asking about your job and and how it's only until Kathleen Kelly it's only when she is outside of that identification that she is able to kind of be herself and actually fall in love and mm. uh, with Joe and uh, it's same thing with Joe like he's so tied to his identity with this job but that's not really who he is and uh, I love Parker Posey as Patricia <laughs> Patricia. Mm makes coffee nervous hilarious i but then there's like scenes with such heart like when she overhears the the um the guy in the big store reading the you know she's like Mm. (laughs) skating shoes and (laughs) skating shoes is my favorite but but ballet shoes is completely wonderful but it's out of print um like this is a movie that i have seen as you can probably tell since i quote it a million times yeah. uh, this is a movie that i've seen probably more than almost any other movie it's a movie that yeah. i love i think it's super romantic i love that it uses uh the west side new york city i i one of my trips to new york i like went and visited all the like went to mm-hmm. the shop that is uh, yeah. and went around to riverside park and, and grace <laughs> Paya and really fun and <laughs> i 
don't know. There's just, I, there's also really lovely moments. Like I love when she says uh, that uh, some, she says, sometimes I wonder about my life. I lead a small life, valuable, but small. And sometimes I wonder, do I do it because I like it? or because I haven't been brave. And that's mm. something I think about all the time because mm. my life is obviously is small, but you know, I haven't like conquered the world or done some great thing. Um, so that's one that I love. I love when she's just, uh, I love when he's talking about uh, the, um, uh, the, you zing them. And mm. I, 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 if only I could pass my zingers on to you. Uh, and, and he's like, I promise you that when you have the, the, uh, the pleasure of saying the, the thing you did at the thing, at the moment you want to say it, remorse inevitably occurs. Like that old scene is great. Uh, cause I think of so many times when like 20 minutes after a, a, a conversation, I'm like, Oh, I should have said that. That was the right, the darn it. I should have said the right thing. <laughs> uh, I wish I had said it that way. And I don't know. I, I, I just, I could go on for an hour of like, I love when she thinks that he's the rooftop killer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, I could go on for forever. Yeah, I, I love it. Know. I just think it's so well-written and funny. And I love Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. I love the scene when he brings her flowers. That mm, the whole scene is great. Yeah. which is sick anyway so i love it that's my number one right. uh, i guess you'll be happy to hear this came very close to making my list Woo-hoo! um one of the reasons i didn't put on the list was because i knew it was going to be your number one and i didn't want to steal your momentum by you know like mentioning it early in the episode yeah um and the other reasons uh well I think I love a lot of things about it. I used to live in the Upper West Side for a while, so I recognize a lot of the places. I think, you know, it feels very funny. Like, her version of it is very accurate in many ways. Yeah. Um, especially of the kinds of people who live there. Um, also, I think that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are great together. I think, yeah. like you, that it has a lot of things to say about tradition and nostalgia and technology and also work. I do think that I wish, I feel like the, the, the movie sort of drops the whole business part of it. I guess it's because of what you say, that she has to sort of like move on to her own to like be able to fall in love. But I do wish there was a little bit more of a button on the, on the business side of it. And because yeah. she, you know, she loses the, the bookstore and what happens there, what does she do with her life after that, except of being with him. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it, it feels to me like the almost like the apex of romantic comedies in the 90s. And I think it really feels like like the if you wanted to to, to show a person what they, those movies were like, you have to show them sh- you've got mail. It's like the perfect, you know, yeah. it feels I, like it all builds up to that. And I think it's not a coincidence. And after you've got mail, the romantic comedy sort of like started to decline and eventually, you know, disappeared. And I do think it is one of the most successful remakes ever made. Like Shop Around the Corner is a really fun little movie, but I just don't think the writing in that movie is is as good as the writing that Nora Ephron has. Uh, So, you know, when people poo-poo remakes, like here we've had two on our list that uh, are close to our list that we've talked about that are really solid. I had three actually on mine because of Mighty Joe Young uh so uh yeah and also i just have to say i love dave Chappelle too they really nailed the the friends and the side <laughs> characters i think in this which 
is such a key to romantic comedy. Like he's so funny. I hear more of me ooing and gushing <laughs> about You've Got Mail. You can listen to me and Christine talk to the whole podcast. <laughs> if you want uh, to, uh, you know, they, what do you have at number one? Number one is a movie that I saw for the first time preparing for this uh, list. And I did not expect it to like it as much as I did. And I just kept thinking about it. And uh, it just becomes more and more beloved in my mind as I, as I think of it. And that's The Last Days of Disco, written and directed by Whit Stillman. And so kind of related to what I said about Rushmore, I have been, especially when I was younger in my teenage years, a very pretentious person in many ways. And I think this is a movie about sort of like pretentious young graduates who get out of college and they think they know everything about life and they have all these weird opinions and all these affectations. And it really feels a very honest and accurate and precise about the kind of person that behaves that way to me while also being very hilarious and being a very objective view of the you know sort of the faults with those people i think it it's basically it takes place in the early 80s when disco was kind of like going away and this group of people who are kind of like stuck in the end of an era sort of right yeah um and I think I'm also attracted a lot to those sort of movies. This movie just like hit me in so many things that I yeah. like, especially the, the, well, there's the, the, the sort of characters that I r relate to a lot, which are this like, you know, know-it-alls that are actually saying very dumb things. There is the sort of um, very witty and very sort of specific type of comedy. And then there is this whole thing about the end of an era, which is something that I always gravitate towards the yeah. sort of like nostalgia that something is like ending around you and yeah. you are in the middle of it um i don't know this movie just spoke to me in very very personal ways and um i don't i'm not sure that i know why i love it so much i just i think i'll have to watch it a million times <laughs> until i figure it out but i will yeah. do so very gladly because <laughs> like chloe sevigny and kate beckinsale are the leads in the movie and uh, they do an, a, a great job i think they're excellent i need to i should have watched this for the podcast that was dumb but i need to see it because i really love love and friendship and i mm -hmm. really enjoyed the metropolitan metropolitan yeah that's his first movie yeah yeah i really which sounds very similar to this one because it's, it's, it's it also, probably is yeah. i think yeah definitely and and kate beckinsale who was the lead in love and friendship and she gives a very she gives a similar performance here um she's yeah. playing this very like sort of witty character who says a lot of things but unlike lady susan she well i, I guess lady susan is also a little superficial and and in the way in the things that she says a lot of the times and this the, her character here is definitely very self-centered and superficial yeah yeah that's kind of in metropolitan they're kind of they're these pedantic uh, uh post-college uh group or some marine college that are uh, home for a, like a holiday and mm -hmm. for christmas and uh yeah it's it's a very talky movie and the characters aren't very likable so it's definitely not going to be for everybody mm -hmm. but I, I enjoyed it i thought it was i thought it was good yeah so i'll have to see that that's cool great well, we did it we made our list Yay.
Uh, we did it. <laughs> so I'll just go over my list. So number 10, I have The Bug's Life. Number nine, Mighty Joe Young. Number eight, The Parent Trap. Number seven, The Mask of Zorro. Number six, Ever After. Number five, Mulan. Number four, The Truman Show. Number three, Afterlife. Number two, The Prince of Egypt. And number one, You've Got Mail. Great. And my list is at number 10, Run, Lola, Run. Number nine, The Celebration. Number eight, The Parent Trap. Number seven, Shakespeare in Love. Number six, Afterlife. Number five, The Big Lebowski. Number four, Rushmore. Number three, Saving Private Ryan. Number two, the sexiest movie of all time, Out of Sight. And number one, The Last Days of Disco. Awesome. Great. Oh, well, this is so fun. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed looking back at these and it was fun to prepare and watch all these movies again. I probably watched about 20 movies, mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, 25 maybe even to, to get ready. Uh, Cause uh, there's, I don't know, it was, it was, so that was part of the fun of it as well for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you online? Um, they can find me on Twitter and that would be at Coco hits New York. And you can also follow my blog, which is cocohitsny.wordpress.com. Um, uh, I haven't written a lot in a while, but I am the New York Film Festival just started. So I'm going to go be watching some movies there and hope to write some reviews. So I'll be posting that soon. Oh, jealous. Okay, cool. Great. I will have that in the description section if people want to check it out. And uh, yeah, you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews here on, on iTunes or on YouTube. So Make sure to put in your reviews on iTunes if you can. That really helps mm-hmm. helps us out. And uh, give us a thumbs up, uh, subscribe on YouTube. And uh, thanks again. I really enjoyed it. It's always fun when we can get together. Talk. It definitely is. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll talk to you all. Let us know in the comment section or on Twitter what your, your favorites are. Uh, if you've seen any of these that we mentioned, of course, some of them you probably will have seen. Uh, what, what you like from this year of 1998. Let us know and uh, it'll be fun. So, okay, great. Well, thanks again and we will talk again soon. Okay, Bye. thank you.